0: Well, we're in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it is printed in your bulletin, but I encourage you to take advantage of the pew Bible in front of you. The way Paul writes his letters is really intricate and really beautiful. And I may reference some things uh, that come before or after. So he he just has all these callbacks and consistent themes throughout. It's really um, great the way he writes. Now, if we're honest with ourselves we have really short memories when it comes to preaching. So I have no illusions that anybody will remember what I've said even tomorrow. But I keep folders for my sermons over the years, and it turns out that um, almost three years ago, I got to preach a sermon about Paul's trip to Ephesus, the city where these believers are, to whom he's writing. And during that trip, Paul was the cause of a riot. Actually, Jesus was the cause of the riot because... Because of Paul, many Ephesians were coming to follow Christ. They were becoming followers of Christ, and it was disrupting the economy. How was that? Well, there were craftsmen and silversmiths in Ephesus that got their living by fashioning trinkets that helped people to worship other gods and goddesses, especially the goddess Artemis. So if more and more people are becoming Christians, then less and less people are buying these trinkets. So economy disruption, and there's a riot. And you can read about that in Acts 19. It's pretty fun. But how is that useful to know for us this morning? Well, these believers are still there in that city. They're still there in that culture. You know, just, we come, just because we follow Christ, we don't withdraw from our culture. You know, they still have to contend with their old mindsets and the elements of their old lifestyle. You know, for all we know... Some of these Christians may have sought to blend their new Christian beliefs with their old worship. So Paul writes this letter that magnifies Christ as the head of the church, as the one true ruler of heaven and earth, who has made it possible for these Ephesian believers to enter into the promise of redemption, the promise of a glorious inheritance with all the redeemed saints of God. And this this was a mystery before. Before this, before Christ, the Jews thought they had a corner on being God's people, and they did for the most part. But now that's all different. Suddenly being a part of God's people is not about race. It's about grace through faith. So like us, they now get to be part of Christ's body, the church, which grows together until it attains the fullness of Christ, until Christ gets to present the church to himself as a holy bride with no blemishes who gives this woman to be married to this man for all eternity well christ does because he's the one who gave himself up for her to make her blameless and we are that bride and all of that is in paul's view as he writes this letter but on the way to that on the way to that fullness and that glorious day we live here with each other as part of his body And sometimes the body doesn't exactly cooperate with itself. So read with me in chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity but that is not the way you learn Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness therefore having put away falsehood let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray and ask God to illuminate his word to us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We confess that we... Don't meditate on it as much as we should. We don't take advantage of your revealed will as much as we ought to. We pray this morning that you would be here, that your spirit would impress these words into our hearts. And please be with me as I uh, strive to preach it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in 2013, there was this band out of Colorado that was doing really well for themselves. They had amassed a really large local following, and they got signed to the A&M Octone label, the same record label as Maroon 5. And they had this unique sound. They incorporated a male and female lead singer, and they had a mandolin. They were compared favorably to Fleetwood Mac. And their label started to make this huge marketing push, leading to their full commercial debut. They got some great music videos out. They got a lot of radio airplay. Uh, They even went on a European tour with Pink. And there was a girl here in our youth group that actually had heard of them without my telling her, which I thought was pretty amazing. (laughs) And I was looking forward to seeing them with One Republic in the city that summer. Then out of nowhere, they announced that they were breaking up, right on the cusp of this big push to stardom. Somewhere along the line, the two lead singers had become very close. The problem was that they were both married to other people outside the band. Their betrayal was compounded by the close friendships of these couples and the band itself, who, prior to this, were united in their pursuit of success. This was a wife and a husband that had taken vows. They knew what marriage was supposed to be, a lifelong commitment to the other. And at least one of them, who was a friend of mine from college, claimed to be a Christian. Yet here he was, living as if he wasn't. As if he was what Paul calls alienated from the life of God. You know, I'm sure pulling off an affair while you're on the road with friends is kind of hard to do. It requires a little crafty planning, but it, it really requires selfishness. Their selfishness had wrecked the unity of the band. I'm sure most of you here haven't actually had an affair but perhaps you've lusted after someone who wasn't yours. Maybe you've been guilty of some of the things Paul talks about here in our passage. You've failed to speak the truth. Either you've lied to your fellow Christian or you've failed to speak good words when you should have. You've held on to a grudge. You've worked really hard with a view to only benefiting yourself and not those in need. Or maybe a sarcastic word from you has hurt another person. All of us can see ourselves in these descriptions somewhere. The people of God are a family. We're meant to be united as the church, united in Christ with one another, and we grow together in this unity. That's the way it's supposed to be. But we often live as our old selves, as if we are still strangers to the life of God, and this can wreck the unity of the church. But it doesn't have to be that way. As we're going to see in our passage, God has gifted us a new self so that we can thrive in unity. As we follow the text, we're going to see the old self prohibited in verses 17 to 19, the new self proclaimed in verses 20 to 24, and we're going to see the new self portrayed in verses 25 to 32. So starting in verse 17, we see the old self prohibited. Paul says, Now, or therefore... This I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He says now, or therefore, so he's referencing whatever he said before this. So if you have your Bibles open, you can look back at verse 15, two verses before, where he says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The purpose we have as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ is to grow up into Christ. But we cannot do that if we're still living as, as though we're not the people of God. That's incompatible. Here Paul calls those outside of God's people Gentiles. That's what he means by that word Gentiles. People who are not Christians. People who don't follow Christ. This is not a flattering picture, you know. You're not meant to go out and tell your non-Christian friends, hey, you know what, your mind is futile. You're darkened in your understanding. You're alienated from the life of God because of your ignorance, which is caused by your hardness of heart. And as a result, you waste your life on trivialities, and I'm glad I'm not in your shoes now. <laughs> not a good approach. But Shame on us if this diagnosis of Paul's doesn't lead us to want better things for our non-Christian friends certainly gives us plenty of reason to be gracious to people who are outside the body, does it not? It says they've become callous. They're hardened. They've given themselves up to sensuality. And that's so true, and it makes perfect sense given our culture. Because if the material world is all that there is, all that matters, then why wouldn't you spend your time trying to please your senses, even if it is at the expense of your ultimate health? I mean, sensuality is what this culture preaches. Even our definition of love is restricted to what we can sense. Do what makes you happy. And then we wonder why there are things like opioid epidemics. I have a friend who just lost a cousin, and he shared on Facebook that he's lost three people close to him in the last three months in a very similar way. And the answer to that is not more drug abuse resistance education. People have to be made new. They need to know the better life that can be had because of Christ. Without it, they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity, the end of verse 19. Who even talks about impurity or purity anymore? Who, being unstained by sin, that's not even like a concept to the culture, let alone a valuable virtue. So is it to us? And this is not here so we can boast. It's not here so we can look down on people outside the church. The only reason you and I are not in the same situation, the same wretched situation, is that God broke into our lives at some point, gave us grace, a new life, a new heart, a new mind. Back in chapter 2, Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, Not, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We would be right here, in this hopeless state confirmed in the same situation and on our way to eternal alienation from the life of God if not for this disruptive invading grace. But some of these people to whom Paul is writing are probably still stuck. Look at verse 17. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, some of you Ephesians still walk this way. Now, every time Aerosmith comes on your classic rock station, you're going to think of Ephesians chapter 4. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Why? Because of verse 19. That is not the way you learn Christ. We're now going to see this new self proclaimed. It starts with this contrast in verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He doesn't say that's the way you learned of Christ or that's the way you learned about Christ. He says that's not the way you learned Christ. You've learned Christ himself and you've learned in a way totally different from what I've been talking about. In the Bible, including back in the Old Testament, to know God, it's not just knowing about him or affirming a bunch of ideas regarding him. It's intimate knowledge. It's our whole life submitted to him and obedient. So do do you know God? Have you learned Christ? Notice Paul doesn't assert that's not the way you learn Christ, and then come right out and say, here's the way you learn Christ. No, he kind of interrupts himself. Uh, up until now, we just know what isn't the way. It's the sad picture he described above. So when Paul seems to interrupt himself like this, he does this sometimes in his letters, he usually finishes his thought within that interruption. So here we go. Assuming you have heard about Christ and were taught in him to put off your old self, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. See, Paul can assume that they've heard about Christ because he himself surely taught them what Jesus handed to him. Or at least he taught the elders that were now leading this church at Ephesus. So it's safe for Paul to assume that the life and the teachings of Jesus govern their focus here at the church at Ephesus. Jesus taught about things like true purity, not just abstaining from certain activities, but purity of mind and purity of heart. He said that being angry with the brother was just as worthy to be judged as murder. He taught his followers that their righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, the religious leaders who thought that making a show of goodness was enough. Jesus taught so that his followers would sense that the heart of their problem was the problem of their heart. Paul says that the Ephesians had learned Christ. They had heard about him and were taught in him to do something truly remarkable. Something you can't do if you're not a follower of Christ. This remarkable thing is threefold. To put off their old self, to be renewed in the spirit of their minds, and to put on the new self. So I want to go through three, those three things. First, put off your old self. This is the picture of throwing off old clothes. Paul says, your old self belongs to your former manner of life, just like the life he described above, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires. The old self is dirty and mangy and doesn't belong to your new life in christ who here has a sleep shirt right maybe maybe a few maybe it's a t-shirt you don't wear in public anymore it graduated to the sleep shirt sooner or later it starts getting ratty starts to smell a bit so you throw it in the laundry and you use it again but this time it like smells quicker i don't know it's disgusting we're we're disgusting So you need a new sleep shirt. Put off the old self. It's unbecoming. Put off the old self and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You know, the new self isn't something that just happens. You need a new mind. Paul says the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. And as Christians, we need to be renewed in our minds. We've learned Christ and we continue to learn him. To know him, to view life the way he does. To esteem the things of the world as trivial compared to knowing him. Look back at verse 18. Paul says the Gentiles are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So the hard hearts lead, The hard heart leads to ignorance. And as a result, you're alienated or cut off from the life of God. Can we flip that? Can we flip the whole thing? Can we say that those of us who are in Christ have been given new hearts that are soft to the things of God, which results in knowledge of the things of God and not ignorance? And so we have the life of God. We have it instead of being alienated from it. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It starts with that new heart. Do you have that? Are you soft to the things of God? When you come to the scriptures or when you hear them preached, is your first reaction to be submissive or to be skeptical? There's a telling difference there. Are your thoughts characterized by a desire to please God in more and more aspects of your life? We are to find new ways in which God desires us to change, new ways to think about the wisdom He has revealed, not the popular wisdom of whatever movement the culture's adopted this week or next. Put off your old self and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Now, you'll notice I skipped something in verse 21. You know, something pretty important. The basis for this remarkable thing that these Ephesians were taught to do. Verse 20. That is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus. As the truth is in Jesus. Jesus is the source of our ability to do these things. The truth is in Him alone. He himself claimed to be the way the truth and the life. And now look at how Paul describes this new self in verse 24. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, that sounds like someone we know. Someone who wasn't created but is forever the image of God himself. The new self is going to look unmistakably like Christ. He alone's the truth and he alone has the righteousness and the holiness that we need. It's a free gift to us who believe in him. This new self has to be given to us. It's something outside of us. We can't procure it for ourselves. In the novel, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, C.S. Lewis describes the adventure of a boy named Eustace. And I'm sorry if, like, your cousin or something had a baby and named it Eustace, but the the first line of this book is one of my favorites. There, there once was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. <laughs> this boy is a whiny complainer, and he winds up in the land of Narnia, this mythical land much to the chagrin of his cousins Lucy and Edmund, who had been there before. And they find themselves voyaging on a ship with one of their old friends. And Eustace is just not pleasant company at all. So the ship hits a storm and it gets damaged So when they put into an island Eustace slinks away by himself To avoid helping with the repairs Sooner or later it starts to rain And he finds a cave to take shelter And this cave is filled with treasure Just a big heap of treasure And he loads his pockets and falls asleep in the cave Well when he wakes up He finds that he is turned into a dragon He can't communicate with anybody No one recognizes him They are scared of him Well, it turns out that he always resembled a dragon in his greed and in his selfishness. So in a sense, the dragon was his truer form. So he realizes this and he repents of his awfulness. But the prospect of turning back into a boy is totally hopeless until Aslan the Great Lion shows up. He brings Eustace to a well where Eustace tries three times to shed his scaly skin like a snake. And he seems to pull it off, but each time he goes to bathe in the well, His dragon skin is regrown. So after those three times, he's totally desperate enough to let Aslan do his work. And Aslan begins to pierce the dragon skin with his claws. And Eustace tells the story later. He says, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy. Oh, but it is fun to see it coming away. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. But then Aslan throws him into the water and gives him new clothing. The end of that chapter states, and this is on the front of your bulletin, it would be nice and fairly true to say that from, all that, from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate... He began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. You know, the new self isn't simply this nice cosmetic upgrade that makes you nice to be around. Whoever wrote the Wikipedia entry on Voyage of the Dawn Treader, they got it so wrong. They, they, they talked about this adventure. They said, Eustace begins to be a nicer person. Well, they missed the point. They missed the fact... That the new self is the result when God alone transforms us totally from the inside out. This is a miraculous work of God to make us no longer alienated to his life, but partakers of it. So why would we go back to continue to live as those who are strangers to this new life? We must put on the new self. But what does it look like? Well, starting in verse 25, we see the new self portrayed. Paul gives a series of exhortations for how to live as new beings within this dynamic organism of the church. You see, we don't just exist. We live together. In every story of every journey you've ever heard, there's episodes of conflict, and even more so when there's a family involved, and that's what the church is. This passage is specifically addressing life within the body of the church. We're, kind of, we're keeping it in the family. So we could easily hear an entire sermon on each one of these exhortations, but if we did that, we'd be here all night. So we just have time to look briefly at them, get a kind of a cursory picture in our minds of the new self. And it's good to approach it in this whole picture way, because we're meant to take all these instructions together to get this view of what our new personhood is. Our faith isn't private and individualistic. It's communal. This is life in the church. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, in light of all I've said about the way you've learned Christ and putting on the new self, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Having put away falsehood, isn't this calling back to before, to what he said about the old nature, the, the old self? He said the old self is corrupt through deceitful desires. Having put away falsehood, speak the truth with your neighbor you know, one's neighbor here isn't just your brother or, you know, it's it's your brother or sister within the church body. That's who your neighbor is. We speak the truth with one another. You know, at the least, we don't lie to one another, but it's more than that. We speak the truth. We don't hold back from giving the truth to another person that could benefit them, that could build them up. And what's the reason? Because we are members one of another. We're part of the same body, the same organism. When one is torn down, we're all torn down. When you harm another, you harm yourself. And when one member is injured or caught in sin, everybody works to see that person restored because the body isn't healed until they are. So speak the truth with your neighbor. Verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now this isn't, when he says be angry, he's not commanding us to be angry. He's acknowledging that we do get angry. It's admitting that anger happens, but anger rarely leads to good things. So don't indulge your anger in sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't be angry for long. Don't hold grudges. Don't give the devil an opportunity because he would love for nothing more than to fill the church with angry people and divide us. Now, thankfully, I'm not aware of any divisions like that, that, you know, big, big disagreements like that here at Grace, which is great. Because I've been at churches where there are definitely disagreements, huge ones. But, you know, as we grow closer together, conflict is unavoidable. So we need to encounter it as new people, with our new selves put on. Verse 28 Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. When we become new in Christ, we transform into people who no longer consider only our interests above everyone else. The difference between stealing and sharing is the difference between being characterized by, you know, destruction and death or love and life. It's your whole disposition toward people. Are you a person who grabs? Are you a person who gives? Are you doing honest work so you can share with others who have need? Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't allow corrupting talk to come out. Words that tear your neighbor apart or bring her down—it's really amazing. Your words are crucial to the growth and building up of the body. Paul says your talk is able to give grace. So it's an, your your mouth is an instrument of God. Speak truth with your neighbor. Don't destroy them. Verse thirty, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, the Holy Spirit isn't just this thing. He's not an idea. He's a person. He's an actual being that can be grieved. And how's that? Well, with all the negative things that Paul has described in this passage, things that don't lead to unity, walking like the Gentiles, which leads to division and strife, I think you'd agree that the world is truly fragmented and fractured. We're often told freedom comes in being yourself. Just be yourself. Be yourself. You know, you would hope that the prevailing wisdom would offer us more than a Sesame Street slogan, right? But it really doesn't. But when we hear be yourself, there's often this rebellious undercurrent to those words. Be yourself, it often means, you know, rail against all standards and flip others the bird figuratively or literally. Do what works for you. You know, this way of the world is factious. It's divisive. There's the world's version of be yourself, And then there's the truly beneficial be yourself of Christianity that we read about here. Put on the new self, which is now your true self. Peter O'Brien writes that we are to become what we already are in Christ. This new self is a gift, and when we're truly ourselves in Christ, truly like Christ, it leads to this beautiful picture of unity that we have before us, where the church body grows into the fullness of Christ. Paul refers to this earlier in the chapter in verse 3. He says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit is what makes this life together possible. Don't make Him sad. He's sealed you for the day of redemption. This is that day that Paul described and will describe elsewhere in the letter when Christ is going to present the church to Himself in all her splendor. We are on that way on the way to that day together. Now, all these behaviors that accompany the new self, they're not things that come naturally to us. We are fallen people. You could do these things in self righteousness, you could muster up the strength to do it, but you'll be really tired. It'll be tiresome. You're, you're not going to feel like yourself. We don't flex our muscles to perform these behaviors in order to be accepted. We affirm that this way of Christ is truly better. And we adopt this lifestyle, this new self, these actions of love because we're already accepted because of Christ's work. Christ took our sin upon himself so we could be gifted the new self, which consists of his righteousness. It's an exchange of our sin for his righteousness. Christ is making a totally new humanity. If you're part of it, if you're a Christian, then you find that as you follow Christ in his way, you feel more at home. You feel more like yourself. We experience this in greater effect as time goes on. It's often a conscious decision at first. We decide, you know, Jesus wouldn't be short-tempered in this situation, maybe toward my coworker or something. So I'm going I'm to try that. So the situation arises, and you remember that you made this choice. And you try not being short-tempered and you find that there's peace. You experience the way that the way of Christ is actually better. What you already affirmed as true is now confirmed in your experience and you learn more of Christ in this way. So Christian, can you attest to this? Can you attest to your own experience of the new self? How the way of Christ is better when you practice it and all of a sudden it becomes your default mode? Hopefully you have examples of a small area or an instance in your life. I'd like to share one from mine, if I could. My wife is there, my wife Hannah Faye. We have a lot of fun together, but I can be a real jerk. This past week, we both had questions for Leslie about the youth group lock-in, the all-nighter that they had on Friday. So Hannah Faye texted Leslie, and she texted me. And you're going to think this is so small, but this is a good example for how petty I can get right? So my old self started to text her back because I'm thinking, oh, I wish you told me you were going to text Leslie so you could address my issue too. And now I still have to text her and ask when you could have just asked because it's a similar question. Why didn't you tell me that? So I could have done that, but I was stopped. I believe the Spirit of God stopped me in my tracks. My inner conversation went something like this. Josh, why are you going to word this in this way? Why are you going to word it in a way that belittles your wife? In fact, why are you such a jerk like this a lot of the time? Don't you, don't you love your wife? Don't you really? Isn't she precious to you? Isn't she like an immeasurable blessing in your life? So why are you going to one-up her? Why are you going to word something in a way that's going to rile her up and rile you up, make her feel like she failed at something? You're so trivial. There's a way to ask this where you're not a total twit. (laughs) So I just asked, did you happen to mention my being late to the lock-in or do I still have to talk to her? Simple. Perhaps my cure has begun. Now I hope you can point to times in your life when you chose to put off the old self in favor of the new self. You were renewed in the spirit of your mind. I hope you had peace in that instance. Because that's what I felt. It was confirmed. This is the way I want to be all the time. I want to be gracious. In verse 31, Paul seems to revisit each of these previous instructions in one fell swoop. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the picture of what it looks like to live as if we've been forgiven by Christ. Forgiven by God in Christ. So a few questions for you before we end. Paul is the same writer who wrote to the Galatian church saying, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Especially other Christians. So if you're a Christian, you know, we've seen here what the unified life of the church is supposed to be. So ask yourself, how do I relate to the people of God? Do I feel a special affinity for those within the church? And not just my local body, but all Christians, all true Christians everywhere? Am I someone who edifies others? Am I quick to forgive? Or do I walk as the Gentiles do? Is my heart tough instead of being in touch with the things of God? You know, putting on the new self doesn't come through willing up the drive to get your righteousness on. It comes through realizing the gift you've already been given in Christ. He gives you himself and a new self that looks just like him. You have the power through the Spirit to put that on. Put your old self off, put, be renewed in your mind, and put on the new self. It's not always easy, it's not always pain-free, but there's new skin under those scabs. Maybe you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. This all sounds pretty alien to you, but it also somehow is attractive. You don't want to be a stranger to the life of God. You want to be part of it. I'll tell you, when the church is living the way it should, it's beautiful. It's beautifully portrayed here for us. It's all because of Jesus. Over against the divisive, supposed tolerance of the world, there's true unity here. So I urge you to believe in Jesus. He offers a new heart and a new self to you. If you need to talk or to know more about this, we always have an elder available after our worship service. We'd love to pray for you, pray, for, pray with you. We'd love to see you become a follower of Christ, to learn him. Your new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Why would we ever go back to living in our former manner of life when we've been gifted a new self that can live like this? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word that you've told us how you intend life to be. And I pray for anyone here that does not know you, that you would work in their hearts, that, that they would not be afraid to, to ask questions, to Let their doubts be heard and that they might find faith in you. And I pray for all the believers here, all the Christians, that we as a church would grow in unity, that we would love one another, that we would be renewed and put on our new selves so that we can be unified. And pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.